Welcome to the Business of Human Flourishing podcast, where we investigate how business can be used as a force for good, especially as it relates to healthcare, education, and technology. Today, I get the privilege of speaking with someone I really admire and who has been extremely helpful in my professional career. While he isn't actually the mayor of Raleigh, it sure seems like he is. David Meeker is a businessman, philanthropist, and community organizer. He founded Carpenter Development and proudly claims to have made every mistake in the world, lived to tell about it, and has invaluable development experience as a result. David is on the board of the Raleigh Chamber, the Downtown Raleigh Alliance, Common Calls NC, North Carolinians for Redistricting Reform, Dick's Park, Dogwood Bank Advisory Board, and Artspace. And that's not all. He's also on the Capital Campaign Committee for Healing Transitions, my favorite local nonprofit. David is a Raleigh native and lives downtown with his wife and two boys. David, welcome to the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me, Trip. I'm thrilled to be here. So uh, I'll just tell, I'll kind of kick it off with how we met. I, I think we met through a, through a mutual friend, Matt Cox, when he was you know, running for, for state senate here yep. and uh, just met, met, I guess, met at a campaign event and then... I think you have helped us with both finding a banker, finding someone who's a bookkeeper, basically finding real estate for us, basically everything. So a lot of the success we've had at Green Hill, I think we owe to you. Yeah, well, that's definitely not true. And that was the most successful campaign that never happened. So that was a good campaign you worked on um, for Matt Cox. Um, and um, the folks I connected you with are so thrilled. They actually thanked me. I connected you with them. So. Um, so anyway, it was a win for me, not just you. So. <laughs> well, it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, why don't you just kind of give us your background, how you got into business, like you're from Raleigh, just give us like a, a quick synopsis because you're obviously involved in a lot. So how did you get to get to this place? Yeah, sure. So, um, went to school in so grew up in Raleigh in downtown Raleigh, went to school in Houston, Texas to Rice University, moved back here, worked for a real estate developer for a couple of years pretty quickly realized I wanted to go on my own and did that in 2008. Um, seems like a bad time to go out on your own <laughs> as a real estate developer. But other than the first project, which was a little iffy, um, you know, it's been a good time. You know, the last 13 years have been great for real estate in Raleigh. Early on, I got partnered up with two guys, Chris Powers and David Lockwood, who wanted to open a craft beer bar. Um, we were thinking that was a one-off partnership, and that was the Busy Bee Cafe. We ended up being great friends, and that's turned into Trophy Brewing. So I really have two lanes of my business. I have carpenter development. We do real estate projects, mostly focused on restaurant, retail tenants, although we're doing some small residential stuff now, and then Trophy Brewing. And we, I'm the real estate guy in the Trophy Brewing team. We own our buildings and, you know, you know we're expanding, including a big project over on Maywood Avenue we're just planning now. And then I'm also really interested in the community. Obviously, I grew up here and live here and care a lot about it. And um, so I'm, that's how I've gotten involved with the nonprofit stuff. I really use my businesses um, to allow me to pay for me to spend time on the nonprofit stuff. That's what I really care about, to be honest. Um, but you can't, you can't live on nothing. So I've got to have the businesses to sort of support that. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about so real estate. I think a lot of people... Who might listen to this? Real estate doesn't seem like the most uh, progressive field to go into, right? But but tell tell us a little bit about. I know there was a really cool article in the Triangle Business Journal about how you worked with 
kind of your tenants and in, in different capacities throughout the pandemic? And then also just like how you like, why is that interesting to you? Why is why is real estate important? Why is that something you want to you enjoy? Yeah, so it is something that interests me. That's why I got into it. I enjoy construction. I enjoy seeing projects being built and projects be successful. So it's a passion project. And so it makes it a good career for me. Um, and it is not generally most the most progressive field to get into. <laughs> I agree with that. Quite frankly, there are a few options and times when you can sort of be compassionate and help people. And the pandemic was one um, sort of time for that. And what we did was waive our waive the rent for the tenants that were really impacted. Two examples were Beasley's Chicken and Honey and irregardless, the restaurant. We owned both those buildings. And we waived it, one, because it was the right thing to do. That's the easy reason to do it. The other reason we did it was because it was a good business decision. If yeah. we were to charge rent, um, the tenants would could potentially give up at some point, not making any money, still having to pay rent. They would leave and we'd have an empty building rather than having two businesses that are basically institutions in Raleigh. And so we sort of said, hey, let's just look at this as six or eight months as a renovation period and um, and just not get rent, but long-term still have them there. And it worked. They're both back open and paying rent. And um, yeah, you know, that article was really nice, but, um, but you know, really we, it was a good business decision too. We, we kept yeah. our tenants. So how do you have that long-term focus? I think like that's, that's one thing that, you know, you say it, it again, it's, it was the right thing to do. I think one of the things I really respect about you is, and I, I, I hope I'm living up to this as well, but it's really hard. Like I just can't make a decision that's going to hurt people if I have another option. Right. Um, but I think for a lot of people, they can be really focused on the short term and, you know, early in the pandemic. And I, you know, I know some some people not not in Raleigh, but who were not very compassionate from the landlord side. And so how do you keep that long term focus? Because what you're saying and, and, you know, what we were talking about before, I mean, you're you're kind of booming, you're taking on bigger projects. So this has all worked out really well. But I think if you were thinking maximizing quarter to quarter returns, you would have made different decisions. So how do you keep that long horizon? Yeah, absolutely. So the, I mean, the key is, is that you want to, I want to be in business in Raleigh for 30, 35 more years. And so I'm focused on the long term, how I can build a successful business. These folks who charge rent and now have vacant spaces, or even if their spaces are full, they have tenants who don't like them. That, that was a bad business decision. So I'm very focused on what's good for the company for the next 10 to 15 years and less about quarter to quarter. I will say I'm fortunate to be able to think about that. Mm -hmm. um, there are some, even people in my field, some real estate developers who have investors who don't allow them to think like that. Yeah. And I'm lucky that I have a team of folks who believe in me and allow, trust me, to make decisions year to year as long as the 10 to 15 year outlook works. So talking about, you said your investors allow you to have that longer time horizon as well. You, you obviously hooked us up with our banker, our bookkeeper. Yeah. Um, I think like as you build that network, you start to find more people who share that time horizon and want to, you know, build a good life for themselves, make, make money, do but do it the right way. So, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, building a network? You're from Raleigh. I do, you know, you're a pretty well-connected guy, but think about someone maybe moving to Raleigh. What would you suggest they get interested in or, or get involved with kind of in the community? How can they get some exposure? Yeah, good question. I'll hit that in a second. The first thing is like building your team. 
Um, you know, it's interesting as you work with people on a project or two, you sort of realize who they are and, you know, as people and what they're thinking about. And you really trend away from the folks who um, trend away from the folks who are looking for a quick buck or just, a, you know, profit in the, you know, in the next six months. And you um, you start working with folks who have the long term view. And yeah. that's what we've done. And you're, we're always looking for new tools or teammates. But um, but we, you just naturally work with people who sort of have your same beliefs and in the end now like and I'm, I'm thrilled we've been able to share them with y'all too in some instances but like we end up with great people and um and they do a great job for us they help our friends and it's just all good in terms of getting involved with raleigh i think finding an issue you're passionate about most of us have full-time jobs so these nonprofit projects or passion projects or night and weekend stuff so you got to be passionate um, for me, I think my first big cause I got involved with was ending gerrymandering. That's mm-hmm. been a failure. We haven't done that. I started working on that in, <laughs> in 2011, and here we are 10 years later, and we're still Jerry, North Carolina is still a gerrymandered state. But I got really interested in that and started um, you know, organizing around that, joined a couple boards around that, and, uh, and I'm still involved with that fight. But that was an issue that sort of kept me up at night. I was pissed about it. Yeah. Um, and there were other people in the community who felt the same, and, and that sort of got me connected. So tell me a little bit, like, like I'd love to kind of double-click on the gerrymandering piece. Maybe tell the listeners, what, you know, what's going on in North Carolina and why it's so important, because I think that, that this is one of those kind of foundational first principles problems that we have to address, because until we can address that, everything's built on a kind of it's a house of cards right well you're exactly right and if we addressed it as a country we could you know really change our politics pretty quickly so gerrymandering is where the leadership the folks in power draw their own districts and um and are able to manipulate the districts because of that states that don't have gerrymandering have independent commissions citizen commissions or groups of professors or groups of judges who draw the districts and those systems um, work so much better. One, the state is accurately represented, most important. But two, the districts are competitive. And when you have competitive districts, you get better politicians who are less on the fringe. So um, more pragmatic folks, folks who are willing to compromise to get things done. Um, and again, states that have ended gerrymandering are much more successful. And it is a foundational issue in North Carolina and the country. And and until we fix it, you know, hopefully, you know, soon, it, it, you know, our politics will be get, continue to be the way they are now, which is we're led from the fringe on both sides. Yeah, it's it's really an interesting, uh, interesting for the wrong reasons when North Carolina is a case study on on how to do it the wrong way. So yeah, yeah. Glad, glad you're involved in that. Yeah, and and let me give you a quick um, thing of where we're headed. So North Carolina now has 14 congressional seats. We're a 50-50 state. You'd expect our congressional seats to be split 7-7, and the leadership is trying to figure out a way how to, to draw districts 10-4 right now. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that just shows, like, that's that's not fair. North Carolina is not represented in the U.S. House. Yeah, and when you see the lines drawn on the map, they're just uh, these little carve-outs and islands and nowhere. It's it's It doesn't make any sense, and that's what's, uh, you know, unfortunate, I think, about it is this doesn't actually make sense to anyone uh, if, if you can have a long time horizon. So, right, man. Well, you're involved in a lot. So we we talked about the gerrymandering. What uh, 
what else is kind of taking up your time and your interest outside of maybe outside of work? Yeah. So two things that we've been working on. One, we've had um, a bunch of success on recently, and that was to take the Raleigh bus system to a fare free service. So most people who are riding the bus can't afford a car, and that's why they're on the bus. Um, and, you know, going to fare free service saves them 50 bucks a month or 600 bucks a year. Um, we were working on a big campaign that included the universities, nonprofits like Healing Transitions and other family-oriented nonprofits, and a, a broad coalition downtown, including the Raleigh Chamber. And, um, and we were gearing that up, and then the pandemic hits. Mm-hmm. Well, the city council, smartly, in the beginning of the pandemic, went to fare free. Because now the only people riding a bus in the pandemic are folks who don't have a car. Everyone who had a car was getting in. Uh, and two, there might germs might spread on money. So they quickly moved to fare free at the beginning of the pandemic. Then this spring, um, the council has to decide again, hey, do we go back to charging a dollar and a quarter um, to get on the bus or, or do we stay fare free? And they decided to keep it fare free for another year. And so now as the pandemic hopefully sort of fades, we need everyone to start riding the bus, not just mm-hmm. the people who were who were, you know, couldn't afford a car. If we if that happens, the council will keep it fare free because we will have less congestion. We will be a greener greener city. Federal funding is based on how many people ride. We'll get more federal funding. The the buses will run faster because you're not waiting for people to pay. They're not mm-hmm. on. So that was a, a big success project, and we're hoping Raleigh is a leader um, in the in the country on transit equity, starting with fare free bus service, but, you know, extending to many other platforms. So that was one big win. Um, The second one is Healing Transitions. That's the free detox and recovery center over on Dix Park. Um, Again, I want to emphasize free. If you're struggling with addiction, you can go into Healing Transitions and and stay there. Um, We were doing a capital campaign to raise money to have more beds based on need. Uh, We have almost finished that campaign. It's $17, $18 million campaign. Um, just want to mention the city and county were heavy hitters in that campaign, really stepped up and led the way for hospitals, insurance companies, private companies to, to, to step into. But we're, we're proud of that, and we're getting ready to break ground on the construction in the next couple months. That's awesome. Yeah, Healing Transitions, like I said in the intro, is one of my favorite nonprofits. I think dollar for dollar they're doing some of the best work out there. And, and we've been fortunate at Green Hill to, I think we probably have four or five guys who work here now that went through the HT program. And it's just really cool, uh, you know, to, to build this kind of ecosystem that really helps people flourish, you know, for us, you know, for people who aren't familiar with healing transitions, like David mentioned, it's a free kind of detox and residential program uh, for, for anyone who wants to, wants to show up. It's, it's incredible. And as you work through their program, as you're leaving, you have to have stable housing. And so that's one of the places where we've actually had, you know, we have kind of live-in staff members at at some of our facilities. And a lot of those guys will go from HT to being kind of overnight staff for us. And it's just been, it's been really cool to kind of build that out and and help them get on their feet and then kind of do more as well. So you've talked a lot about transportation and we've talked some about affordable housing. You're not a healthcare guy, so I assume you're probably not that familiar with the social determinants of health. No, I'm not. Okay, so this is actually where I think you know one of my interests with kind of the intersections of politics, healthcare, business really come together. 
social determinants of health are these non-medical factors that play a really big part in your health outcomes. So things like transportation, uh, access to, to food, uh, financial security, and affordable housing. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if we take care of those things, we get better health outcomes. And it's also a lot less costly for society as a whole. And so one of the things I hope over time with, through this podcast and, and just through all the work I'm doing is that we can start to, to view all of these kind of connected, right? And so, you know, I think it's really important to talk about the affordable housing and the transportation piece because without that, we're getting worse outcomes in our healthcare system and um, it's just costing us a lot of money. You know, it's, we, could, we could actually provide, you know, months of housing for one ER visit and that might actually save, like, to spend money on, on affordable housing is probably in our best interest as a healthcare system. So I don't think we're that progressive yet, but I hope one day we are. Yeah, no, exactly. That all makes sense. And I mean, let's look at healing transitions and what it does for downtown Raleigh. If you didn't have healing transitions, we would have tent cities full of folks struggling with drug addiction and mental health issues on Fayetteville Street. Right. Because healing transitions exist, all those businesses and residents on Fayetteville Street can can do their business and be successful rather than deal with somebody who's having a life emergency in front of their business. The financial impacts, although it's not what we want to talk about because it's not the reason we're doing it. We're right. doing it because it's the right thing to do. The financial impacts and payback are huge. Um, the city, for example, when they put $3 million into Healing Transitions, they said this is the best investment we right. could make in our city. So let's talk about housing, for example, because I think you're right. It's the same thing in housing. We just The city just did an $80 million affordable housing bond. They had to decide on that amount right after the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. So there's been criticism that it's too much because it's mid-pandemic or it's too little um, because it doesn't, um, you know, tackle the full problem. Both are probably accurate, and, you know, that's why they ended up in the middle. But, you know, let's use, let's use the $80 million fund that seems to be a success and is working well um, as, a, as a stepping stone to a much bigger fund. I've heard talks of the next affordable housing bond being a billion dollars. Some people say, oh, you're going from 80 million to a billion. That's too much for Raleigh. Well, the answer is no, we have a huge affordable housing problem here and it would be an investment that would save the city so much time and resources um, in terms of health outcomes, in terms of costs, ER, you know, police, you know, all the, all the costs that come if you don't have affordable housing. And we could potentially lead the country again by, you know, doing a huge bond and over-investing in it. And then, uh, and then, you know, in the end, be in a much better place to, to live and a much healthier, have much healthier citizens. Man, absolutely. What, um, so you're, obviously we went through, we've talked uh, about some of the, tell me, tell me about any of the other causes you're involved in that you'd like to speak about and how, Maybe how the intersection, you know, how you've actually brought knowledge from either the real estate side of things or how all this connects, because I think it does. And I think that that's where, you know, people like you and kind of leadership positions in Raleigh is so important because you understand the, the nuances of not just running a business or not just thinking from a nonprofit, but how do we, you know, set up, set up Raleigh for kind of the future. Right, right. Well, we, you know, no matter what business you're in or what organization you're connected with, you care about Raleigh long term. 
And that's exactly where I am. We all sort of have to work together. Um, clearly, the folks who are working in nonprofits are doing a lot more than mm-hmm. folks like me are doing. Um, but I think it's important for folks in the private business to support those folks, and I'm trying to do that. Um, and so it's, it is all intersected. And, and if you want to live in a great city and, and have it still be great in 15 or 20 years, you have to make those investments now. A couple other things I'm working on, just because you asked, <laughs> is uh, you know, I'm working on the Dix Park um, you know, bond sort of getting funding for that and making sure that's an incredible park for the city. And then I'm working on um, reducing, this is an interesting one. So downtown Raleigh is sort of broken in half by two highways, Dawson and McDowell streets running through it. And it really impacts the walkability and the safety um, as you move around downtown. So we're working on working with the state DOT, slowing those roads down, reducing the number of lanes, hopefully getting, you know, bike lanes on them and making them a lot a lot safer. So that's sort of a slow-moving project. But I do think one day you might say, hey, if I'm going to downtown, I'll go on Capitol or South Saunders. Um, but if I'm going around town, I'll get on 440. And right now people cut through cut town. Cut through, yeah. Yeah, so go to town, not through town. And uh, because of that, the walkability downtown will be a lot, lot better and a lot safer. So that's sort of a passion project of mine. Uh, And then I I just have to mention it, like the fare free bus service is in place through June 30th, 2022. Um, The community uh, needs to provide cover to our elected officials to extend that, um, hopefully forever, but at least a year at a time. Um, It would just significantly impact um, a lot of folks in a negative way if we went back to charging fares. Um, So I'm working on providing cover to make sure that's extended. That's awesome. Switching gears a little bit. Um, how do you manage your time? I mean, what, tell me you, I've never run into you in a bad mood, so you must manage your, your time and your energy better than I do. Well, I think but. you do a better job of it than me, so I should be asking you this question. Uh, but I'll tell you, it's, it, it has been a challenge at points, and I try and make adjustments when I realize it's a challenge and put things in place. Um, part of it is having folks at the companies who can really run them better than I can, uh, and then I'm in weekly meetings, but I'm not involved with every problem. Um, but but I just want to say for folks who are out there struggling with time management, I can relate. And uh, <laughs> Me too. And uh, one thing I've found that's helpful is to turn it off at times. Um, you know, I really do. This may sound late or it may sound early. I sort of stop working 8.45 at 9 p.m. I sort of turn my phone off and I'm not answering texts or emails um, to some people, they're like, oh, 9 p.m. is late. To a lot of CEO types, you know, like, how can you run a business if you don't have your phone all the time? And so that's sort of at 9, I sort of cut it off. I hang out with my wife, and, and you know, 10, 10.30, we go to sleep. And, and then I really don't look at my phone until 6.45 or 7 the next day. And that is maybe not enough time, but, like, that gives me peace of mind. And when I get yeah. going in the morning, I'm sort of rested and ready to roll. So. Awesome. Well, you mentioned uh, spending time with your wife on you know, I need some advice here. I'm, uh, you know, we're looking at having kids and, um, you know, I think I remember last time, last time we met in person, you were, you were about to take a trip with one or one of your sons, I think. And, uh, you know, what advice do you have for young entrepreneurs balancing, you know, a family life, trying to be, you know, engaged in the community and, you know, successful in their business pursuits? Yeah. So my advice is going to be honest, which is to, Uh, expect the worst in terms of sleep (laughs) for the first six or eight months. I sort of expected I could keep rolling at 80% for the first six months. And 
And that was a bad idea. I should have expected to get no sleep, and then the sleep I got would have been a win. So expect the worst, and it won't be that bad. Um, and then expect to be in the weeds um, for until the I think the first or second kid is one or two. And then you'll get back to where I am. My kids are three and four now, and I'm really sort of back. Um, 100% at work. I feel good. My kids have provided wonderful balance and perspective yeah. in life. I will say having kids made me think a lot less about things that were fun to me. Like, hey, you know, a lot of people, a lot of us work to take that fun trip, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm much less focused on that fun trip for me and, and much more focused on what will be that fun trip for the kids. Um, but that's a good thing. I mean, we're getting to the age where that's it's time for that to happen yeah. anyway. Um, so, but I would definitely highly recommend the family thing. And then just the first six months sort of expect the worst and it won't be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. I like that. Well, we can, uh, we can wrap up here in just a minute. What, uh, is there anything else you want to highlight? I mean, you, you've, you've brought us through a lot. We'll put it, this all in show notes because I think anyone who wants to be active in the community should really tune into this one. I I've learned a ton about kind of what's going on in Raleigh. I like to think I'm somewhat informed, but I learned I'm not. So thank you for that. But what else? Is there anything else you want to highlight, whether it's your your work, where to reach you, um, or any other causes? No, I, I would just say I'm, I've been very impressed with what y'all are doing at Green Hill, too. Um, and especially one thing I want to highlight is the team you've built. I think I've, you know, it's very hard to keep really good people um, on the team long term, and you've just done a wonderful job of that. I've gotten to know a lot of the people at Green Hill, and, and I like them all. They're fun, and they're clearly, y'all are doing a great job. So um, learning a lot from y'all all the time. So just want to mention that. All right. Well, until next time, thanks for coming in, David. Yep. Thanks for having me, Trip. All right. We'll talk soon. <laughs>